I just don't know where I can go. Fun getting low. Winter is a coming back and colder than the last. Pity for me, cold it can be when breezes blow with ice and snow. No wonder then I think time in a This is Sparky on Ice, the coldest podcast on the internet. Today is November 8th, and I have been on ice for 35 days. Well, another week has passed here on the ice, and what a week it's been. We are still in yellow, and we found out we have at least another 16 days of yellow. At this rate, we may be green for Thanksgiving. I think everyone is getting really frustrated with the lack of recreation on station. Usually we have bars and dances, clubs, karaoke, trivia sports, community activities, and they just aren't happening this year. Honestly, I feel bad for the first-timers. I think they're getting... A crappy first season. At least they'll get bragging rights for any future seasons. Sort of a, you think you had it hard, I survived 2020 on ice. I guess all we can do is endure and move on. On a high note, I got permission to use the gallery for trivia night. It won't be a standard trivia night though. We are going to be more of a game show type thing because we have to do the social distancing and mask and uh, we can't do it at Gallagher's where we usually do it. Uh, I guess I'm going to need some to do some planning to make that happen. We also had quite an interesting week at work. I got a call on Tuesday about a breaker tripping at the VMF. That is where we repair all the vehicles on station. This breaker fed the heating and air compressor. Without that, they can't do any work. And I want them to work because our truck is currently on the deadline waiting for repair. It's been there for three weeks and I have no idea how long it will remain there. Anyway, I go to reset the breaker and I can't find a reason for it to trip. Sometimes a spike in current on a piece of equipment can do that. So I go on about my business. It trips again later in the day and again at 1.30 a.m. Then again at 7. And I had already eliminated several culprits for tripping and now I was at a loss. So I sent in a couple of the guys and uh, had them do a full check of everything connected to that breaker. They spent hours checking and measuring amps and voltages and all that fun stuff. Finally, they figured out that the wires at the breaker were pulling three times as many amps as they were at the panel downstream. I mean, somewhere in the cables is a weak spot, and we were getting leakage causing the amperage to ramp up on the upstream side. That additional amperage is enough to cause the cables to overheat and trip the breaker thermal mechanism. I also found some damage by, and we believe that to be the culprit of the weakened installation, maybe, or at least it contributed. So after verifying, we mobilized the entire electrical true, including Lyman, to replace this set of cables. Uh, this is not your ordinary breaker like at your house. This was a 225 amp breaker in the main distribution panel feeding another panel. But because we'd be working in the MDP, we have to shut down the entire building to do this. So we get everything set up and Lyman cut power. I gave an estimate of three hours to finish, but asked for six just in case. This is Antarctica. So they cut out the damaged section of pipe, pulled the old cable out. And they added the junction on the pipe while we get the new wire ready to pull in. We all get together and pull the wire. It gets terminated and energized. Uh, we got the entire thing done in about two hours. So a really good night that went as planned. And uh, everybody worked really well together and got uh, it done. We didn't inspect the cables uh, and the pipe. We found a small bit of carbon scoring on the pipe and a section of cable with really thin insulation. And we're pretty sure that is the issue. But now it's all fixed. The breaker doesn't trip anymore, and they can work on vehicles again. 
The rest of the week was rather uneventful. I had my first bass guitar lesson. Um, I think I did okay. I got a lot of practice to do, though. I really need to build up my finger strength and the calluses on the tips of my fingers. But I learned to play Knocking on Heaven's Door intro. And I got to jam a little with the, the guy instructing me while he played uh, some chords on a guitar. really like playing, and once I get a little better, I'll put something on YouTube and see how that goes. I did see my first skua today. It was just sitting there in the road over by 155, so I guess we need to look out for them now. It's also a sign that summer is actually here. They are like the robins of Antarctica. Once you see them, you know that warm weather is not far behind. Well, that's all the updates I have for this week. Uh, let's do some history. Uh, we're going to start this week with the Terra Nova expedition of 1910 to 1913. This was headed up by Robert Falcon Scott, who had headed up the Discovery expedition in 1902. And Scott wanted to use the Discovery ship again for the second expedition, but they had sold it to the Hudson Bay Company some years before, and they refused to sell it back. After considering others, Scott purchased the Terra Nova, which had been used for whaling and sealing since it returned from this Discovery expedition. The choices for land transportation made by Scott were to have a profound effect on the final results of the expedition. He didn't take togs, perhaps influenced by his experience in the Discovery expedition. Instead, he had motor sledges, which were experimental, since none had ever been used before, and ponies. Ponies had been used by Shackleton, but not successfully. Scott planned to use the motor sledges as far as possible, establishing depots along the way. The ponies would then take over. Between them, these two methods would haul the sledges across a low-level, relatively flat, great ice barrier, now known as the Ross Ice Shelf, to the foot of the Beardmore Glacier. This is the next major obstacle where the South Pole Party would begin to manhaul their sledges, gaining height, climbing up the polar plateau. The journey to Antarctica on the Terra Nova was eventful and losses of ponies, a dog, coal, and other stores occurred. During a storm, a dog called Osman was washed overboard by one giant wave that broke his chain, only to be washed back on board again the next wave. On December 8, 1910, the first iceberg was spotted, and on the following day, in latitude 68 degrees 8 south, the Terra Nova entered the pack ice. The ship continued to encounter heavy pack ice for the next few weeks, consuming a great deal of precious coal in the process. On December 30th, 1910, Scott wrote, We are out of the pack at length, and at last one breathes again. On New Year's Day 1911, Mount Erebus came into view. They attempted to land at Cape Crozier, where they planned to up sitting winter quarters, but the seas were too rough, and McMurdo Sound was their next option. January 4th, 1911, the Terra Nova anchored to the ice, and the unloading began. The ponies were especially happy to be finally on firm ground as they rolled and kicked in the snow. The motor sledges began well. They were unloaded and immediately put to work hauling stores for the new camp. The third and largest sledge, however, broke through the ice to the sea and sank in 60 fathoms of water as it was being hauled by 20 men toward the shore. The hut was erected quickly. It measured 50 feet by 25 and was 9 feet to the eaves. It was insulated with quilted seaweed, lined with matchboard and lit by acetylene gas, provided with a stove and a cooking range, divided into two partitions made with crates, including the wine crates, to separate the men from the officers' quarters. Within two weeks, the hut was built and occupied. Like the Discovery Expedition, again, the centerpiece of the expedition was to reach the South Pole. Again, this was but one of several projects and exploratory trips from base camp 
depot-laying parties set out shortly after arrival to leave stores and provisions. Doubt set out early about the usefulness of the ponies as they had problems with sinking in the soft snow. It was only after arriving at their winter camp and erecting the hut that Scott found out that Norwegian Roald Admanson had arrived at the Bay of Wales, some 400 miles away and 70 miles further south. He too was planning to reach the South Pole the following summer. Admanson had more dogs and better trained dogs. What was more, he and his men were experienced in using them efficiently. Many of Scott's party were unhappy with the arrival at Admanson. His arrival was previously unannounced and thought to be an unsporting attempt at beating Scott and his team to the pole. The ponies continued to fare badly. Two were lost in the sea when they broke through the ice, when they were unable to be retrieved and fell victim to killer whales. Before the sun went down for the winter, only ten ponies were left out of the original nineteen. One sledging journey was undertaken by in the winter by a small team of men led by Wilson, the biologist, and including the young Aspley Cherry Garrod, famously that gave rise to the acknowledged greatest of all Antarctic adventures and travel books, the worst journey in the world. It was a trip to Cape Crozier in search of eggs from emperor penguins that were known to lay and incubate their eggs in the Antarctic winter, though none had ever been returned intact for science. Indeed, they had only been discovered a few years beforehand. They were thought to be a kind of evolutionary missing link, something that was determined by examining their embryos. The winter was very active time for the expedition, and a large quantity of scientific data had never been gathered. Though Scott spent much time engaged in science, his thoughts were inevitably also always only an attempt to reach the South Pole, to be carried out when the weather allowed after the sun returned. He decided during the winter on who his companions were to be for the polar journey. Chosen team was Dr. Wilson, known as Uncle Bill, the chief scientist, Captain Oates, a career soldier and in charge of Siberian ponies, Petty Officer Edgar Taff Eggins, a strong man for the party and in charge of sledging equipment. At the last minute, just before the pole party left for the last and the men would turn back to Hut Point rather than continuing to the pole, Scott chose an extra man to be part of the polar party. Lieutenant Henry Bertie Bowers, originally a storekeeper of the ship, moved proved himself to be very capable. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it this week. There's a huge amount of story left on the Scott expedition, certainly enough to make a whole nother segment. So next week we'll pick up where the trip to the pole. As usual, if you have any questions for me, be sure to leave me a message on Facebook or Twitter. You can also leave a comment on YouTube. I also ask what sort of videos people want to see. Most want to see scenery, so I plan on making some more of those. If I can get my GoPro working right, I will see about making a time lapse. I'm also making videos from the inside of some of the common buildings on station, so keep an eye out for those. And as usual, I'll see you next week and stay warm.